Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. And so many things happened uh, this past week. I talk about not a great uh, great time in the market. And Chase got a lot of things to talk about uh, to try to help people out through a difficult week. Uh, down one day, what, 1,200 points one day in the Dow. I mean, these are the times that, uh, you know, always excited to do the show, of course, but even during periods like this, more excited to do the show because this is when it is so important to, again, understand your portfolio, understand what you have in there. Because I talk to people, it's like, well, I haven't sold if I have, I haven't lost if I haven't sold. And well, that's true. But the problem is if you hold a Peloton that goes from, you know, 118 <laughs> down to 10, I don't see Peloton going back to 118 anytime soon. I don't, think go back to eight, I don't think it'll go back to 18. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, and this is where, again, we always talk about looking at the, the numbers of the business and so forth that you're buying. But the big problem last uh, last week was inflation. I mean, the market is not liking the CPI report that came out on Wednesday, I believe it was, as inflation rate did top 8.3%. Uh, that was above the expectation of 8%. Uh, it was down from July's 8.5% uh, rate but remains stubbornly high and likely cements a Fed fundraise increase of 0.75% in the next week's meeting. Uh, energy was down 5% in the month and gasoline was down 10.6% in the month. But year over year, energy is still up 23.8%. Gasoline is even higher, up 25.6%. Uh, another area that's uh, obviously really important in the economy is food. That also remains quite stubborn as uh, prices increased 11.4% year over year. And then shelter, which actually occupies about a third of the CPI index, well, that remained high with a year over year gain at 6.2%. And with the huge surge in housing prices over the last couple of years, I continue to believe this category has more room to run over the coming months. Very important you remember that, that housing in the CPI report is not based off the housing prices. It's based off what the owner equivalent rent essentially. So if mm -hmm. you owned your home, what could you rent it out for? That's how they calculate the CPI rate. And right now you've seen rent start to kind of catch up to housing prices. And one of two things is gonna have to happen. Housing prices have to come down or rents have to go up. And I think it's going to be a combination of but, the two. But, you know, but that's kind of like a false number because uh, it doesn't include, like, we look around San Diego, don't know about the rest of the country, but there's a lot of apartment buildings coming online. That has really very little to do with the housing market. So I'm not sure that's a good number. And also, if you own your home, well, you don't really care about rents going up because you own the home. So. Yeah, I, I mean, but if you are renting or you live in the apartment, then that is goes into the CPI. Yeah. So there is, it's either what your rent is or what the rent adjusted rate would be from your home. But remember what you said, it's not the real rent, it's the rent based on what if you rented your home was. Yeah. So that could be way off. And I get the point of why they're doing it, but also too, it can be a false number that inflation maybe is not as bad 
you know, I mean, I'm just uh, talking the other side of the coin here. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point because if you own your own home, you're right. It, it's like, oh, yeah, rents went up, but my mortgage, my rent rate is, let's say, $7,000 a month, but my mortgage is 3500 and my insurance is, you know, yeah. all in. Let's say I'm paying 4500 a month. That's not having an impact on me and my wallet at the end of the day. So right. it is kind of a strange way that they do it. I can see why they don't, don't do the housing prices because I, obviously we've seen how kind of... <laughs> that was a terrible way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it is it's not a perfect system and, and that's why it always comes back down to you have to understand the numbers yes and it. It, it is a component that we look at but it is something that again may not be impacting people's wallets as much right. as, as you may think one other thing too that, that we do continue to worry about is the energy prices and and while they have come down month over month companies have not been able to effectively offset these costs and more price increases could be on the way this remains especially true in the transportation services component, which saw a year-over-year gain of 11.3%. And, you know, just got to say, inflation remains a major problem in the economy, but I still believe we can exit 2022 with an inflation rate of around 6%, barring a major supply chain disruption or a major spike in energy prices, which I hate to say it is possible. Yeah, and, and again, we've talked about we see rates, you know, inflation rate come down. We're not going back to 2%. That's not going to happen. Uh, but I, I think the 9% inflation rate, that was a big concern. Like, oh, we're going to hit 9%, 10%, 12%. I don't see that happening. Uh, now, things can always change. Uh, and I have heard good news on the war in Ukraine that uh, they're really turning this war around. Now, many things can kind of happen to where I don't see Putin pulling out, but somehow change that situation because that would release a lot more uh, wheat, corn, food on on, on uh, the, the system. Uh, could be a big positive if that war were to cool down or back off somewhat. Yeah, no, it's something in, in oil to kind of change the dynamic there. And, and while China and India are still buying oil from Russia, uh, it's at a discounted rate if we were able to get Russian oil again, if the economy was kind of resolved, it, it would really help, you know, especially Europe in particular with their, their gas situation. Uh, not going to happen tomorrow, but hey, maybe there could be a resolution by the end of the year, and, and that could really help energy prices even further. Yeah. Uh, phone numbers here, eight, eight, yeah, 833-288-0973. That's 833 0973 and as always gets you through for your unbiased no strings attached fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about again 833-288-0973 yeah and just kind of the last thing i wanted to bring up on the inflation front was uh the ppi and the producer price index mm -hmm. that was up still around 8.5 percent i think it was or 8.7 percent 8.7 percent yeah and, and that's really fallen down. If you remember a few months ago, it was over 11%. And this is one thing that I continue to say is that until that PPI comes lower, the CPI is not going to drop off right. because companies just can't afford to have those higher costs without passing it on to the consumer. And, and my concern is that I still believe that companies are behind inflation somewhat. So while they have had cost increases on their side, they haven't been fully able to offset those costs. So they've said, well, okay, let's increase prices, you know, this month, and then we'll increase it again next month. And a very simplified kind of example here. But I, I think that's what companies are doing is they're not enacting a full price increase right away. They're saying, okay, let's kind of gradually increase prices, which I still think leaves more runway for inflation to carry on. 
I say, but through 2023. And actually, I see that that 8.7% appeared to be the lowest increase uh, since uh, August of last year. So that's some improvement there as well. Not over yet. Still got things to work on, but getting better. The problem is it was the lowest since August of last year when it was (laughs) 8.7%. So this is kind of what we're saying as well, is you're going to start lapping these higher numbers. So inflation really started to kind of kick into the economy, you know, in the back part of 2021. So now you're going to start to see, you know, lapping of higher numbers, which makes it a more difficult comparison to increase at a higher rate. Yeah. What we're watching closely is the uh, job market. As long as that stays strong, I think we'll be okay. But I I get a little bit worried. I start seeing more things. Uh, We can talk more about uh, Federal Express came out with a terrible report. uh, And it's like that CEO is just saying, oh, you know, the the world economy is collapsing and he's closing stores, shutting down planes. Like, wait a minute here. I, I, I don't get that, especially after last quarter, they had such positive news. So did he see a real turnaround? Is a real turnaround out there? That's a problem. Uh, I believe next week uh, UPS comes out. Now, if UPS comes out with a different number, like, no, things are fine, then it's an internal problem in Federal Express and not the global economy. Yeah. And I I do continue to think about China. Mm -hmm. Is he putting too much weight in China? Because if China fully reopens here and gets back going, all of a sudden the global economy is going to kind of, I think, get kickstarted yet again. And I mean, while we have our issues with China and, and some of the trade agreements and some of the trust issues, I mean, they are a major player in the world economy. Right. And they, they do kind of help the world economy go. And the other thing I always say, too, is that uh, we, we, we kind of take care of the world because we're not exporting to the world. We're importing from the world. So if we don't slow down, again, maybe slow down a little bit, but we're buying products from around the world, which helps out the world. Europe's a big problem because, again, we talk about Ukraine. I mean, gosh, they're in a difficult. I, I think last time we said natural gas, what, $30 a, a BTU there. So it's, it's crazy. So talking about oil, uh, we keep saying we need to pump more oil here in the U.S. And some people are saying the current administration is doing everything it's can. Well, in the first 19 months, the administration uh, will have least federal acreage of oil drilling of 130,000 acres. And- and at first glance, that, that may sound like a lot, but it is actually the lowest amount of acreage leased since President Kennedy in the early 1960s. And, uh, you know, let's look back at energy consumption back <laughs> in 1960, not where it was uh, compared to today. So yeah. it, it is an issue. And, you know, it, we need more oil. We need more gas. And, you know, it, we don't want to rely on the Middle East. We don't want to rely on a country like Russia. We don't want to have that type of pressure that that we need to have that because as we've kind of seen with Russia things can change very very quickly and and we always say with the Middle East it's it's still not a stable place and if we get kind of screwed over here yeah. i mean you, you, that's where you'd have oil prices skyrocket again right and and i can see that happening because again we talked about china not being open for business so to speak well when they open for business again whether that's next week next month whatever there's going to be more demand on oil again, pushing up the demand side, which will push up prices again. So th- this may not be over. Uh, and we like having oil at 80 to $86 a barrel, but it could see back up to 100 which would cause gas prices to raise again. So. Yeah. And I mean, this is something that concerns me not so much this year, but then next year and the following year is because that's one thing people always look at what's currently happening. Right. But a lot of this oil production is because of the leases that were signed, you know, one, two years ago, two, three years ago. 
because it's not like you sign a lease and all of a sudden it, it starts pumping immediately. Right. These oil companies have to come in, do their due diligence. They have to obviously bring in all the equipment, get it mm-hmm. set up, and, and actually get going on it. And once you sign a lease, I believe then you have permitting, and there's a whole process that, that goes into it. It's not, oh, yeah, all this oil that's being pumped is because we signed all these leases. No, it, <laughs> it, it, it takes time, and that's where people need to be very cautious with looking at the supply chain is the supply chain and the economy it takes time to work through different kinks of, of the the supply chain it, it's not like oh everything's fixed it's great right no there's going to be different problems and if you can get ahead of those problems that's where you're going to be looking much better come you know one two three years down the road and you touch upon it as well about permits and so forth there's you get the leases like okay now you got to get permits to build the roads and put the equipment there and all these other things you got to do so there's a lot into it where the government has to say yes we're going to allow that and, and not just say yes we'll allow it but encourage it to get us out of the situation and i know that they want to go to the green side that takes years to happen uh i, I did see a thing that uh lithium batteries um gosh i think they were up 300 percent the last couple of years uh, they said if the demand goes to where we're driving all electric cars, uh, the price would go up 28 times because there's just not enough lithium there to do it. So it, you can't force things quickly like going from, you know, oil to green energy, we'll call it, uh, in a short time frame. It takes years, decades, many times to make such big changes. And the issue that I have with it, and it's maybe a little too political, but it is just my point of view is that, okay, if we're still using the oil, I'd rather get the oil here where we know how it's being produced yeah. versus, you know, I'm just going to pick on a country like China and they're not a huge producer of it, but, you know. Pick on Russia. Yeah, Russia. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't know exactly how effective they are at pulling it out. And it doesn't matter if we're not producing, we're still using it. And we actually could be hurting the, the uh, I almost said the economy, the environment, environment. more by actually pulling it from other countries that are producing it in a least, uh, less efficient way. So it, it's just, I don't know. I think it's a, it, what's it called, dog and pony show or whatever? Yeah, it, it's a good point because I think when we drill oil here and we pull out of the ground, they have certain things they have to qualify for. I remember, like, they can't just burn it off. They have to do all these different things. I don't think Russia or, you know, the Middle, Middle East, East, I don't think they're doing that. So we're trying to be so green here. And, and keep in mind, the United States, we're only 330 million people. The world's 7.8 billion people. There's a lot more people out there. So we may be, oh, we're doing all these things green. Doesn't help, but the rest of the world is not contributing. We're not even going to move the needle yeah. on that. So we, we've got to take it uh, uh, slowly, is my thinking is. Uh, one thing that's happened uh, this year because of the crazy market is a uh, difficulty uh, in uh, the 2022 initial public offerings, also known as IPOs. Uh, they've really been rather scarce this year. Uh, there has now been over 115 days since the last traditional IPO of more than $25 million. And the last time this happened, well, that was 2008, and don't believe much will be changing for the rest of 2022. At this point in time, we're taking a wait-and-see attitude for 2023, and we'll be having a clearer view of uh, what to expect from the markets by uh, mid-November here. It's just there's a lot of uncertainty, and you know, obviously we see it with the volatility and the concerns there. And, and the reason companies don't IPO is because if you don't have a good market, mm-hmm. well, your new IPO might come out the first day and drop 40%. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that didn't go very <laughs> that well. That didn't go well. Yeah. Generally, companies want to come out during a 
a friendly time in the markets, I guess is the way I'd put it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> so uh, if, you, if you like the topics here and you want to hear more about them, you can get those on our newsletter. Uh, also, too, many other topics we had on there as well that uh, might be of interest to you. Uh, we also did talk about, uh, let me turn the page here and get it here, uh, about uh, entertainment. We have something about Bitcoin, El Salvador, transportation, uh, many different topics that you may find of interest. A producer price index, more details in there, banks, uh, so forth. Uh, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You go right to the page. It's right in the middle, I believe, where it says newsletter. Click on that. You can sign up for it. You'll get that every Friday afternoon. I think we send it out what, about 5 o'clock or so, I believe. Yep. Yep. That's right. All righty. Phone number's here, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to San Marcos and speak with Mel. Mel, you're in the Smart Best Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning. Thank you very much. I'm calling about uh, a bond. It's with Macy's Incorporated. It's a 6.7 non-callable bond that matures 9-15-2028. And um, currently you'd be making 7.4% on it. And I was looking at buying that. Okay. Uh, and and what you always want to look at, if you're buying the bond, how strong is the company? Because you don't want to get, a, I think you said 7.4% is what you said was the uh, the rate that you're getting? Right. If you buy it now, I mean, the, the is it called the coupon? The actual rate on the bond was 6.7, but the price of the bond has dropped down to 96.6. So return to maturity is what, what you're actually looking at on a annual basis. Yeah, there. that's yeah. what I meant. Yeah, so mm -hmm. well, let's take a look at the, the financials on uh, Macy's. Their symbol is M. I do see 11.1% short float on that. So they're expecting that stock, it looks like to fall further. Uh, they are 88% institutional owned. Uh, wow. P.E. ratio is only 3.3 versus over 100 for the industry. Uh, price of sales, 0.2 versus 1.9. Price to book value, 2, well below the industry at 48. And then price of cash flow, 2.4 versus 42. So you're not paying very much at all for the uh, cash flow or the um, uh, book value of this company here. Uh, no peg ratio, so no P.E. divided by growth. So not sure how they're gonna do going forward. I do see over the last year, earnings are up 212%, well above the industry at 57%, and sales also did well up 18%. Industry saw a decline of 49.8. Now they do pay a very nice dividend, 3.8%, not quite as nice as that bond you're getting over 7%, but uh, these, uh, one thing you want to realize on stock dividends, they can increase over time. That 7.4% uh, yield you're talking about, that will never increase. Uh, it will always stay the same because they won't increase what they're paying on those bonds. Uh, we do see that dividend is down about 20% uh, over year, over the past year. Uh, we do see on the balance sheet, very important since you look at the bonds here. Current ratio, 1.2 versus 2.2. Uh, debt to equity, 1.7 versus 0.6. Now, this could be a problem because they seem to have a lot of debt to their equity. If you're a bondholder, you want to watch how much they owe because you may be last in line to get paid. There's different bonds they have out 
there, you want to find out what the pecking order is. Uh, who gets paid first always is the IRS, then the employees, then they start looking at, okay, now what, what bonds do we owe here? So make sure your bond has a good standing because it could be one that's at the bottom of the barrel and you never can pay back your principal. So watch for that. We do say they have a net profit margin of 6% versus 1.8. Return on equity, very good, 43.7 versus 8.6. And return on invested capital, also very good, 18.2 versus 4.3. Chase? Yeah, looking here at the uh, cash flow statement a little bit, but I'll, I'll come back to that. Uh, just looking at the current price for Macy's, we'll go through that, and then we'll talk more about the uh, viability of the bond. Is Current price, $16.71. 52-week high is $37.95. And the 52-week low, well, that's $15.85. Uh, no surprise here. It has not done well with concerns over, I think, inflation, the health of the economy, uh, and just concern over retail in general. I'd say stock's down about 35% so far year to date. Uh, index is now down about 18%. Looking forward to January 2024, though, I do see estimated earnings per share of $4.03. That would give us a target sell price of $66.90. So, I mean, the valuations on this company are just insane, but that's not so much, I guess, important. If you're looking at the bond side, it does come back down more to can they make the payments on the bond? And one thing I'm looking at here is their cash from operations in 2021 were about 1.2 billion, but they, you look at the net cash used in financing activities, they paid off about 2.9 billion in long-term debt. So their cash outflow for paying off debt is exceeding what they're producing from their operations. Now, that is somewhat of a strong thing because they're paying down debt on the balance sheet, but my concern is, I forget when you said, Mel, when, when is the your note come due or the one you're looking at? Uh, 2028. 2028. Let's say they have $2 billion worth of notes come due in 2027 before your repayment date. They don't have the cash or cash flow to pay that off. You're kind of left in that pecking order without any you know, uh, help there, without any principal to be repaid. So that's one thing I would really want to take a closer look at is on their maturities of their debt, when do they have big ones coming due? Because if they have a lot coming due here within the next couple of years, that could make this company insolvent if, if they don't have the, the cash flow to produce those debt repayments. And also, Mel, I did take a look at the, the balance sheet. Very important when you're looking at you know buying debt of a company. Uh, they're kind of low on cash. Your cash is only about $300 million. Now, back in uh, 2020, it was about $1.5 billion. So they're kind of low on the cash. Uh, also looked at uh, their debt here to see what their debt looks like. Uh, they have no short-term debt, but the long-term debt is $6 billion. Now, that is down from last year at 6.4, 8.1. So they are paying it down, but your debt of $6 billion far exceeds the equity of $3.5 billion. So it's a little bit risky. That's why you probably didn't pay the 7.4%. Um, but I would be, if I held a bond, and we've, we've talked about doing, if we can't find equities, would we buy a bond? we would watch very closely the balance sheet and the cash flow statement because those are two that you really want to watch uh, to see if the company's headed down the problem where they can't pay the debt off, then it's going to go bankrupt. And, and the thing too, they don't make the decision to go to bankruptcy. The creditors make that decision. If they're not happy, they say, you know what, we're concerned. Uh, you're not paying your payments. We're going to force you to bankruptcy. And then it's too late. So if you're going to do that bond, sounds like a pretty good yield. And I think also too, that yield's probably 100% taxable to you as well yeah. versus the dividends, which right now are what, 15% taxable. So that's the other 
detriment, but um, it, it could be for a piece in the par, uh, of the portfolio. And Macy's has gone bankrupt before. Oh, they have. Yes, they have. So, um, and we I like see. Macy's. We, we like Macy's. We go to Macy's. I feel good about Macy's. I don't Macy's. like Macy's. You don't like Macy's? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember the last time I went to a Macy's. <laughs> now, do you go to Macy's? Yes, we do. Good. Okay. <laughs> I just don't like shopping. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't like it either. But, but sometimes you got to go. <laughs> well, Mal, thank you very much uh, for the call, and uh, thank I hope you. it helps you out. All righty. Help me very much. Bye bye. All right. Have a good one. Bye bye. All right. That does open the phone line 833 288 0973. That's 833. 833- Two eight eight zero nine seven three. Before we go back to the calls, I do want to bring out something that, because of the, the downturn in the market, is really happening, which is a shame. Because when this happens, you get your salesmen that come out, I guess saleswomen as well, that come out like, "Oh, you need to sell and go to a safe annuity." Is the market volatility worrying you? Yes, you're going to lose all your money if you stay in the market, so you better come to this annuity that's going to pay you 3 3.5%. It's much safer. The thing that people don't realize is that this is not the time to be selling if you have the proper stuff. Yeah. You have to understand what you're doing. To go to annuity is nothing more than a sales tactic, which they understand. They get about a 6 to 8% sales commission. So if you invest $100,000 because you're afraid of the market, that annuity salesperson just made probably somewhere around seven grand off of that decision. And you'll probably never hear from them again unless you have more money for them to come back to. It is not a wise decision to move into annuity. Uh, I have never really found a reason to tie your money up to annuity for long term. Now, maybe if rates were like 10, 12%, yeah, that might be pretty good. But keep in mind too that your money is locked in for about on average seven years. So if you don't think the market is going to turn around in seven years and you're not going to do better, well, maybe you can do that annuity. But that's I'm going to tell you that's never happened uh, in in the normal history of the market. Uh, and and yeah, you go back to 1929. Okay, that had happened then, but totally different time frame as far as the margin requirements and options and everything else. We are in a much different market where I do not see that happening again. Well, especially as you kind of said, at times like this, this is the time you want to be buying equities mm-hmm. because this is where now your annualized return essentially is going to be elevated if you buy the right equities because you're buying low. We all know we're supposed to buy low, sell high. Well, with the annuity, now your money is completely illiquid. Once you're in there, sometimes you have surrender charges for up to 10 years. Yeah. You want to get out of the annuity? Oh, yeah, that's going to cost you 10%. Yeah. 10%. Yeah. That's a huge amount of your capital to try and move. And and especially during times like this, you want to have that availability to to move your capital into, I think, better returning returning investments. The The annuity companies love times like this because they're able to sell off the emotions and they're able to take the capital that you put with them, and then they invest that capital. <laughs> exactly. They say, thank you. We're going to cap your returns. We're going to exceed those returns with your money that you gave to us and invest that capital in where? Oh, the stock market. Stock market, yeah. And they do have other things like, oh, these are index annuities. There's a guarantee, no no loss over the years. But if it, And there's so many different ways to figure that out. If you do the math again over a longer period of time, the insurance company will come out far ahead of what you do. So just don't fall victim to like, well, I can't ever lose anything. It'll never go below zero for that year. Well, I'd rather have a company because it will be next year. (laughs) It might not get a good return. And these are just ballpark numbers. Next year, the market might go up 20% and your return was seven. 
So you would have done far better having one losing year and one big year. But uh, it, it's just these are things that are sold off of people's emotions. Uh, Long term, they are not good. And whenever you bring emotions into investing, it's a problem. And, and that's why our slogan is, if you see it many places, no emotions, just results. There is no room for emotions when it comes to investing. None at all. So. So any questions on that, you can always give us a call at the office and we have a lot of stuff on our website as well at smartinvesting2000.com. All right, phone numbers here, 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Let's go up to Temecula and speak with John. John, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, Hey, you know, I've been looking at uh, some medical REITs all the way back a couple of years ago, and I didn't pull the trigger, and I started looking again, and MPW jumped out at me because it was one of the ones I was looking at before, Medical Properties Trust, and it's taken a, just a huge um, hit here, and other than maybe, because it is an international company, maybe the strong dollar is, is affecting it, I don't see any reason why it's taken that hit, and wondering if you could kind of walk me through that. Yeah, well, let's take a look at uh, uh, Medical Property Trust. Their symbol is MPW. They are a REIT, which means Real Estate Investment Trust and the healthcare facilities. Uh, they do have a high float of 9.9%. Institutional ownership is 84.2. Now they got a great PE ratio of 6.9 versus 26.8. Jason, you do the the FFO, correct? Okay, yeah. so, so I'm gonna give these numbers, but Chase is also gonna give you the FFO and he'll explain more about why we're doing that is also. Uh, price of sales, 5.1 versus five. Price to book value, 0.9 versus 1.6. Price to cash flow, 10.4 versus 16.3. And a very nice peg ratio, which your price earnings divided by growth is 0.9 versus 62.7. The lower that number, the better the number. Now, we do see for MPW, their earnings were up 115% uh, over the last year, well above the industry, up 9.3. Uh, sales climbed by 14.4 also better than the industry up 13.7. They do have a very nice five-year earnings per share growth estimate from the analysts of 9.8%, also above the industry at 6.3. You're gonna love this one. The dividend yield right now is 8.4%, and they only use 57% they earnings to pay that out. Very good number there. Uh, gosh, 8.4%, better than that bond from Macy's <laughs> that uh, gentleman was talking about. Uh, we do say they've paid that dividend for nine years in a row. Look at the balance sheet. Current ratio, 0.8 versus 1.4. I'd like to have that be a little bit higher. Uh, we do see debt to equity, 1.2 versus 1.1. That's okay. Net profit margin, this is kind of strange. Could be because of a, a REIT, uh, and maybe they just bought something recently. But it shows net profit margin, 74.5 versus 19.4. That's a high number. You have to kind of look into that. Could be because, again, it's a REIT. Uh, return equity, 13.5 versus 3.2. That's good. And a return invested capital, 8.4 versus 4.1. Chase? Yeah, so current price here for MPW, it's $13.80 at 52-week high here, $24.13. And the low, $13.30, actually did hit that yesterday. Uh, Year-to-date, stock's down about 38%. So uh, as you've kind of mentioned there, John, quite a substantial decline. But going forward, I mean, gosh, I look out to December 2023, I see the estimated FFO. And again, FFO stands for Funds for Operations. And it's kind of more of a, I'm going to say, a proxy for cash flow because Real estate companies, they have obviously a lot of real estate. So depreciation expense when you're depreciating the, the real estate, 
I think it kind of overcounts the expenses for these companies. I mean, if you depreciate, let's say, machinery, yeah, that right. makes sense. But a lot of times the depreciation on real estate, I think, is overdone and not a true reflection. So the FFO kind of backs out that depreciation, and that's why we like to look at those numbers instead. But looking at the FFO estimates, $1.85 for 2023 would give us a target sell price of $30.71. So, I mean, the valuations on this company are great. The dividend on this company, just phenomenal. Uh, I know uh, some of the issues around it are concerns over their operator's viability and, and if they're they're going to be able to stay in business. And this is the medical field, and, and the medical field is not not a pun, not dying. Yeah. It's actually increasing. The population is getting older. Um, I, I don't know if they have you know inflation bumps on their rents and they so do. forth. They, they do. So there's a lot of positives to this. Uh, I think it's just being lumped in with all the other REITs. And I could, I, I believe it's kind of like a, uh, I can't think of the term I want to use, like a blessing in disguise, so to speak. Uh, I think it's a great opportunity. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know why anybody would not buy this. And again, that, that dividend that you're getting, uh, 8.4%, uh, it's paying you to be patient. Um, and again, a, a medical pump, you know, being patient, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, I, mean, I like this company and, uh, this REIT, I know no reason at all why not to invest in this REIT. Yeah. A lot of great opportunities here. I think in this one. Yeah. Great. Yeah, Nate, they're like the second largest hospital owner in the, in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, you know, it's mostly hospitals that they, that they've got, you know, the, the property on. So I kind of like that as well. It's not, you know, the smaller, um, the smaller medical uh, uh, stuff as well. So, and I, I think they sold, they sold the property, I think last year, which is why that income shot up. I think it was all to do with that, I believe. So yep, that could very well be the case. Up. Yeah. Gain, gain yeah. on the asset. Well, yeah. great. All right, John. We Thanks, like, yep. we like it. it. Uh, next time you call, yeah. you're going to say that you're older now, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, actually, I, I took a, I took a, I dipped my toe in uh, last week, uh, this past week at, uh, I think it was 14 or something. And so now I'm looking to get a full position in it. Yeah, I'd say put your whole leg in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs> okay. All right, John. Thanks All for right. calling. Take care. Yeah, bye. Bye bye. All right. That does open up the phone line 833. 833- Two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Let's talk to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Well, good, good. I know today we're talking about something very important, which is term insurance. It's always a big thing. So term insurance, whole life, universal life. It gets very confusing. Uh, and you're going to talk about term insurance today, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So. There's two types of life insurance. You have term and permanent. Um, Just like it sounds, permanent stays with you for life, and term lasts just a period of time. Um, Permanent could be, like you just mentioned, Brent, universal, whole life, index universal, variable. There's a whole bunch of different types of permanent insurance, but all of them are substantially more expensive than term is as far as the premiums go. Now, not everyone needs life insurance at all times, so who really does need it? Um, if someone is dependent on you financially and your ability to take care of them requires you to work for income, then you probably need life insurance. So this could be um, a parent that is caring for their children. This could be um, a spouse who is caring for a spouse who either doesn't work or is sick or is disabled or something like that. You might need life insurance because if something were to happen to you, that person that you're taking care of, would be in big trouble. So that's that's really what life insurance is, is for, is if you are working and earning income and that income is supporting somebody. So who doesn't need life insurance? If you're retired, 
you might not need life insurance anymore because your income isn't dependent on you working. Your income is now coming from your assets. That's really what retirement is, is is shifting away from um, wages and earned income, income and going to retirement income like Social Security and investable income and IRA distributions and pensions and things like that. So when you need insurance, term is better, I would say. Um, I used to be an insurance agent. I was one of the people that went from college to start selling insurance at an insurance company. So I know how it works. And I also, again, believe that not everyone needs insurance at all times, which is why I don't do that anymore. Um, but on the term side, usually a 10, a 15, or a 20-year term policy is all that you need. They also sell 30-year term policies, but I think in many cases you don't need coverage for that long because within 30 years, you know, usually that's kind of when you get to retirement anyway on the on the long end. And, and, and again, at that point, you might not need the insurance anymore. And 10, 15, 20-year terms are, are going to be less expensive than a 30-year. And if you're looking at one of these policies, you know, a term policy might cost $30 a month, $50 a month. They're really not too expensive for hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars worth of coverage. If you compare that same policy to a permanent policy with the same death benefit, you know, it might cost $300 or $500 a month. So it's, it's substantially different in the cost, um, but, you know, you get the same death benefit for the time that you actually need it. If you're caring for children, eventually your children will grow, they'll go off to school, they'll, they'll start being self-sufficient. So at that point, you don't need death benefit because they're now taking care of themselves. So one of the issues that people have with term insurance is it's a use it or lose it type of situation. So it could very be possible that you buy some insurance, you're paying the premiums on it every single month for 10 years, 15 years, or 20 years, or whatever it is, and then you don't die, so you don't get any money back. And so well, at least with permanent, you know, you, you get something back because you will die, and if you have that coverage, you get something back. But that's just exactly how every other type of insurance works. You know, no one says, "Oh, I wish my house burned down so that I could use my fire insurance <laughs> to get paid back." Yeah. So um, ideally, you don't pass away during the time, but there is a chance that that can happen, which is why you need the insurance. So, on the term life, I'm a big proponent of it. Um, if you're caring for someone, look into it. But also, again, I talk to a lot of people who are, you know, getting ready for that retirement transition, and some of them have insurance, whether it's through their employer or they have individual policies, or whatever. And they're thinking, you know, do I need to get more? Am, am I going to be underinsured in retirement? And it's like, you know, you you really don't have a need for this anymore. You're better off letting this go and, you know, saving that money and using it somewhere else because you have the assets that are going to generate the income that you want. So save your money on your premiums. And I have seen those commercials. Maybe you have as well, like sell your life insurance. You don't need any longer. But I still think had you made the right financial decision years earlier to where you did the term insurance, which I'll say was 20 to $40 versus I think 300, you said on the, on the permanent. And especially if you're not adding to your 401k, or not doing IRA, you're missing not only the growth that is gonna be better growth in an insurance policy, but also the tax deduction as well. So I, I think, again, that's where a good financial planner comes in, not trying to sell anything, but trying to say, this is gonna be best for you longer term. Yeah, and uh, again, 401ks, you're exactly right with the deduction because with life insurance, the death benefit is tax-free if you die and you get it, but the premiums that you pay are with after-tax dollars. So there's no tax deduction on the premium. and on the permanent side, if you look at 
the amount of premiums you're putting in on a monthly basis and compare that to the, the death benefit that you'll ultimately get when you die, which could be you know in 60 years or something, the internal rate of return based on the cash flow to that death benefit is usually not very good. You're, you're, you get a much better return on your money by buying term and then, like you said, Brent, taking your extra money, fund your 401k, because that is an example of money that you will absolutely get back. If you have money in your 401k, you will be able to use that. So, Especially if you get a match. Better I was going to yeah. think about the same thing. Especially just, if you get a match. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. The insurance company will never match your premiums. <laughs> nope, not that I've found yet. <laughs> well, Harrison, thank you very much. Uh, we'll see you on Monday. Have a good one. All right, thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay, bye-bye. Again, that's uh, Harrison Johnson, our financial planner. Now, he's on a salary. Uh, He doesn't sell product. He's not saying, well, I make more commission if I do this or that. Uh, And this is why it's so important to have an unbiased financial planner because they will go over what is best for you, not what is best for their their own pockets there. So if you want a free consultation with Harrison, you can call the office at 858-546-4306. Again, that's 858 546-4306 or go to the website smartinvesting2000.com again that's smartinvesting2000.com you can send them an email there you do get a free consultation to see if it's something that could help you out uh give harrison a call he is a cfp i think you'll enjoy the conversation with him all righty phone numbers here 833-288-0973 that's 833-288-0973 Let's go up to Oceanside and speak with Rob. Rob, you're in the Smart Vest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, this is Rob from Oceanside, and I have a comment about fly fishing that would be helpful for the guys. Okay. You want me to tell you the comment? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> we don't know what the comment is. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Um, Pete and, and Rick were talking about yeah, I think, I'm sorry, I think Rob there had the wrong show there. Yeah. He was talking about Pete and Rick and obviously not the fly fishing show. <laughs> okay, yeah, that, that's, I thought he was going to make a comparison to fly fishing about how far you cast out, about how far you cast out the holdings of your stock. That's what I thought he was talking about. I thought he was making a comparison to fly fishing to investing, but mm-hmm. I'll see. It was like, no, yeah. yeah, I saw it there and thought that might be the case, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. give him a shot. We'll give him a shot. So phone number's here, 833 833- Two eight eight zero nine seven three again. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Well, well, Chase, uh, let's talk about Bitcoin because uh, you know Bitcoin and you know we've seen Bitcoin fall from what sixty four thousand down to under twenty thousand again. Everybody got so excited. Well, well, let's talk about when the country El Salvador made Bitcoin its legal currency. Bitcoin advocates promoted this is the beginning of a worldwide acceptance. This is great. You haven't heard much about how Bitcoin has done in El Salvador because it has been a disaster at best. Uh, the poor country, which has $800 million in government bonds coming due in 2023 and 2025, is currently looking like they'll not be able to make that payment, yet they've authorized rule leader Bu- Bukele. Bukele, yeah. Uh, has spent $250 million dollars on digital infrastructure, including setting up 200 Bitcoin ATMs, which apparently have high fees, and I love this one, can take up to six hours for a transfer from dollars to Bitcoin. Hey, the country also set up a digital wallets for its citizens with a $30 Bitcoin bonus, and after the citizens use the $30, 
80% never use it again. 92% of the small and medium-sized businesses there say it has been immaterial for them and for cash or credit cards. And the IMF or the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, and international bond markets still oppose Bitcoin and no other country has followed El Salvador in making Bitcoin their currency after a year in existence. The citizens of the country still prefer to use what they have used since 2001, and that's the, the U.S. dollar there. And, you know, people here, uh, and again, we on our Facebook, uh, we, when we do the posts and so forth, they always come back, oh, you just don't get it and so forth. I really think, and, and they do a lot of, I, I, I guess I say they do a lot of research on it and so forth. I think they think they know what it is, but they really don't know how it would react around the world. And you know, and I always tell people, you're not gonna have every country do this. Big, uh, El Salvador did it because of the fact that it was, it was a, like almost like a, something positive for them because they, they just felt that they couldn't control their economy. Well, countries wanna control their economy. Can you imagine if we had Bitcoin back in uh, March of 2020 and we could not put more money into the economy, we could not you know, move, move things around, we'd be in a great depression right now. Yeah. And Bitcoin advocates and cryptocurrency advocates just don't get that yes, they hate the government, oh, I want the government out of it, you don't want the government out of it. The government, and I'm, I'm not a big government advocate, but the government can do things to help that because if we did not have control of our currency in even 2008, 2020, you would have seen a depression far greater and the price of Bitcoin would not go up. It would go down because the other thing too is that you need to be a somewhat of a technical person to do it. I mean, people don't understand the digital wallet, they don't understand the passwords, all this stuff, they don't get it. So. That's why I think Bitcoin eventually will be, I won't say worthless, but it'll be a, a trading chip that's not worth very much. Yeah, I, I still don't see the the use of it. And I mean, some people have said, oh, well, no, it's, it's not a currency, it's digital gold. And then you have these people <laughs> that are fighting about it that are both advocates for it. So it's just a, uh, quite frankly, I think it's a disaster. It's funny, I had a comment there. It's like, oh, El Salvador's economy is booming. You clearly haven't visited there. And I was like, I looked it up. I think their GDP was up like 1.8% year over year. <laughs> I was like, I'm not seeing the boom there. That, that's <laughs> not a boom. And I don't know what, and again, the thing was, they can't even pay their debt come and due, which yeah. that's really going to be a problem. So their economy, you might think is booming because you went to some store and somebody working. But I bet you all those, uh, the, the merchants, I forget the number, a very high number of merchants, I think it's like 89% said, no, they prefer cash, you know. Well, I mean, as a merchant, you gotta love if you got Bitcoin last year and you never sold it, you'd be down about 58% on that, that Bitcoin transaction. So uh, definitely adds a, another area of difficulty to running a business is trying to see the variability of the Bitcoin prices. It's not stable, and that's why right. I tell people it is not ever going to be a viable currency in, t in the current fashion because you can't go from a price of over $60,000 to now about $20,000 in a year's time frame, that just does not work. Right. You can't transact goods that way. And think about this, you need all the countries in the world, or most of them, to agree to use it. All the countries don't agree on a lot of different things. I mean, look at the Euro. The Euro's been, I would say, almost a disaster. England's backing out of it and so forth. And that was very hard to get them to agree to that. Mm -hmm. You can't have all the countries of the world, so to speak, like, yes, we're all going to use Bitcoin, this private currency. Not going to happen. Well, and I had somebody comment as well, just saying, it's like, well, the dollar's actually appreciated. 
but we all use the dollar here. Right. So we know that that's kind of an agreed upon tool when we go and to McDonald's and we want to buy a Big Mac. Well, I'm going to use U.S. dollars here. My price for that Big Mac is not changing here in the United States. You're right. Yes. If you go to, let's say, India, I know the, 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 the rupee there has had a tremendously tough time against the dollar. Yeah. There's yep. going to be a difference there yep. in terms of that currency. But you'd have to go all the way to India. If you had Bitcoin, you could be driving to McDonald's and, and the price of that Big Mac is fluctuating up and down because the currency is not stable. Right. Where the U.S. dollar here in the U.S., it is stable. Against other currencies, yeah, it's going to fluctuate up and down. But here in the U.S., we use U.S. dollars. It's not fluctuating second to second. And, and Chase, I read a book, I think it was like 400 pages, uh, written by a professor from uh, Cornell University, very smart guy, very well-respected and so forth. And I've offered many times social media, if you want the name of the book and the, t- and the author, uh, send me a message. I've never got one person said, well, yeah, send it to me. I want to find out more because it disagrees with what it is. And he he's a he knows the financial currency and so forth. So let's go to the phones here. Uh, 833-288-0973. Let's go down to Chula Vista and speak with Michael. Michael, you're on the Smart Best Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning. I'm calling about FedEx, symbol FDX. Okay. And do you hold that? Looking to buy that? I do hold the the company, and uh, yesterday's news was a, a bit concerning, so I just wanted to get your opinion on uh, what you think going forward. Is there there's something wrong fundamentally with the company, with the management, uh, just how you would uh, kind of play that going forward? Yeah, let's look at the numbers here, kind of talk about uh, what we see. And again, there's still more research to be done on Federal Express, but we'll kind of give you what we've seen so far. Uh, coming again, Federal Express symbol is FDX. They own the Integrated Freights and Logistics uh, industry. Uh, only 1.3% uh, float on the short side, so no one expected this at all. Uh, institutional ownership, 74%. They've got a very good P.E. ratio of 11.2 versus 12.9. Price of sales, 0.5 versus 0.8. Price of tangible book value, 2.3 versus 17.5. And then price of cash flow checks in at 4.4 versus 8.3. And even the peg ratio, which is your price earnings divided by growth going forward, very good, 0.6 versus 5.7. Now, the earnings per share over the past year are down 23.9% when the industry was up uh, 49.5. And these are numbers from uh, May 31st, so we don't have the new numbers yet because they, they, they just pre-warned. They didn't actually give the earnings to us yet. Uh, we do say the sales were up uh, 7.9%, not as good as the industry, up 16.2. Uh, Federal Express, when the analyst does have a five-year earnings per share growth, of 11.5%, double the industry at 5.4. Now they are paying a 2.9% dividend yield. You get uh, their payout ratio is 20.6%, so that's a big positive there. Look at the balance sheet, current ratio 1.4, same as the industry. Debt to equity is a little on the high side, 1.5 versus 1.1. They had a decent profit margin at uh, 4.1, not quite as good as the industry at uh, 6.2. And the uh, return on equity is positive, uh, 15.3. We like anything above 15. That is below the industry of 43.7. Chase, what do you got going forward here? Yeah, so current price for FedEx, $161.02. The 52-week high, $266.79. And uh, after yesterday, it did hit that 52-week low of $155. So I, I think they were down somewhere around 21 22% on the day. Uh, year-to-date now with that loss from yesterday, they're down about 36.9%. If we go forward, though, to May 2024, I do see estimated earnings per share of $21.22. That would give us a target sell price of $352 
$3.25. I mean, that does look very, very appealing. The concern that I have here is, as Brent said, these were a preliminary announcement. So we haven't even really got to hear the earnings call yet. Right. So we haven't seen the full earnings report. We haven't got to hear necessarily. We've heard bits and pieces from the CEO, but I want to hear him on the conference call, and I want to hear what analysts are going to be asking him. Because just a few months ago at the Investor Day, they were talking about their you know five-year growth plan, essentially how they're going to look at growing. I think it was earnings of about double digits. Yeah. Well, that is a material change to where we're at now. Now, was this part of the plan? Is is shutting some offices, shutting some locations, grounding planes? Is is that going to be a temporary thing, or is that going to impact that that kind of mid to long term plan for FedEx? And, and Michael, we, we do have more research to do on this, but I, I almost feel like the CEO and he's new. He just started, I think, June first. Uh, I think he hit the panic button too early, saying, oh, the global economy is slowing down. we got to close offices, ground planes. Well, that's expensive. But also, if you look at the revenue so far, the revenue still looks pretty good going out for a couple of years. So did this gentleman or this new CEO hit the panic button too early? What if China next month opens up? You were completely wrong, and, and now you're going to take all these expenses? There was also another, I think it was a hedge fund or, or some type of company that has a lot of this stock and they force them to raise the dividend. Uh, I, I think they're gonna have something to say about this because they 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 put, I don't know I, I don't know how much it is. We gotta look into it on Monday, how much they put into Federal Express. I, I know they cannot be happy because their, their share price was much higher. Um, I, I think the CEO made a huge, huge mistake at this point in time and the stock has suffered for it. I wouldn't say it's a buy today, um, but it, it, it appears to be good. I would not, I definitely would not sell at this point in time because there are good numbers. And again, the revenue looks good going forward. It's just now the earnings per share have dropped dramatically because all the expenses he's going to take, which I think are not, not needed. Well, I'm just curious to see on, on his point of view, why he's doing these things, mm-hmm. because the, his whole concept as well was to make the company more profitable. <laughs> well, that's not working. Right. And I, I'm just curious if it's, short-term pain for long-term success is, is that the the goal here and, and that's you know I, i'm still going into it with an open mind so to speak yeah. and gonna hear what he has to say but it is just a, a concern to see a stock drop 21 percent on a day on a preliminary announcement especially when you're already trading at you know 10 times earnings it's not like you were an expensive stock yeah yeah but i mean the, it, it was bad numbers right well, he made those bad numbers yeah. is, is what he's done. Uh, very important too, I believe next week UPS does report. Now, if UPS says, no, we don't see a global shutdown. We, we see things doing well. We got the holidays coming up. Holidays are great. I think UPS said they're hiring more people. I think 100,000 more workers. Is, is it a bad company with Federal Express or is this new CEO? And sometimes, you gotta remember, CEOs come in, they wanna clean, clean house, throw everything out, including the kitchen sink, and start over. Well, in my opinion, that was not the time to do it. Uh, he could be, especially from this other, I'm gonna call it a hedge fund company that has a lot of money in this now. Uh, he could have been prompt, but we, we gotta, as Chase said, listen to what he says on the conference call when that comes out, uh, hopefully this week. It should be next week, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so um, it, it's it's kind of, and it trades at what did I say, six times earnings now? Or yeah, no? the, the forward PE is 7.59, and, and that's the thing as well that, that you got to be cognizant of is it could now impact the analyst yeah. going forward. It could go from, I mean, because they had a huge earnings slash. It could go from like a $21.22 uh, in 2024 down to, you know, maybe 
17, 18. I mean, that's how bad they slashed earnings. Now, I will tell you, that's still a pretty good Ford PE because it's so right. inexpensive. But there, there's a lot left here that, that you got to look at before deciding, is this a value trap or is this a good value investment? Yeah. So uh, so you're asking whether you should buy it or hold it. Is that what you were asking there, Michael? Um, hold it and then uh, maybe buy some more on the on the dip here. But uh, it sounds like I should wait until next week to get some more of that information and uh, see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it could rise, but until we get more information, we're not going to jump in because it, it just doesn't make any sense. And this whole thing surprised not only us, but I think the whole street was surprised. And, and I, I do want to talk to this other hedge fund as well to say, well, what are they doing? What do they think? I, I, I know it can't be positive. It was only, I, th I think, a few months ago that they put all this money into it and got uh, directors on the board and stuff. So something is really strange here, I'll put it yeah. that way. So, all righty. All right. Well, thanks for your help. You guys have a great weekend. You too. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. You too. All right. We got... Uh, Shoot, two minutes left. We have time to take another call, you think? Or uh, I think we unfortunately run out of yeah. time there. Yeah, Jim, Jim and Alpine, I got, I got to apologize because I, I don't want to get you on and not, not be able to finish it because it's just going to be, I, I just hate doing that or have to rush through things and, and, and so forth. So um, one thing I want to do, do talk about real quick here is the uh, entertainment industry is uh, Amazon is really pushing forward in the entertainment industry, spending $15 billion this year on that division. They do face heavy competition though for companies like Netflix, Disney, Paramount, and Warner Brothers Discovery. Yeah, a consumer could win here while all the competition prices should remain stable and not increase for a while. I mean, you're starting to see, I think, a little bit of consolidation here. I know Disney's talked about wanting to kind of bundle and, and not even bundle, actually make it one service, their Hulu, ESPN, and Disney Plus service, just have one service rather than having different packages, so to speak. Right. I know Warner Bros. Discovery is now going to combine into one service. I know Paramount's talked about combining their Paramount and Showtime division. So I think it's kind of funny. It's, it, it's so interesting to watch how the industry evolves, how all of a sudden you had all these different streaming right. services, uh, and now they're starting to consolidate again. So it, it's going to be something I think keep your eye on. But right now, I think the consumer is definitely winning as they're fighting for subscribers and you're getting uh, I think a, a pretty fair cost for that content and you know we'll be at the Paramount Studios uh, next week because we're doing uh, the Dr. Phil show mm -hmm. and we're talking about uh, how people need to work hard and 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 how you become successful versus well I'm gonna call it lazy people they just don't want to work and have the handouts so I'm looking forward to doing that show I know it's controversial but again I, I've always believed in hard work and you get paid well uh, can you imagine if we told our clients like work four hours a week or four hours a day uh, well, sorry, we didn't we didn't uh, do well for you. Yeah, no, it's difficult, and I, I mean, I am excited too to see the. I've never been to like Hollywood and yeah. the Paramount Studio. We could go to Paramount Studios. Yeah, it's gonna be pretty cool. Yeah, they pick us up and and take us to the studio. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah. So and and we don't know when it's gonna be on. We'll announce when the show will actually air. But we're doing the taping on Dr. Phil on uh, Monday, uh, Monday morning at the Paramount Studios. Yep. It'll be pretty cool. So, already, well, that pretty much wraps it up there. So, um, we want to thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. I mean, we've been doing the show now for over 30 years. Been well, show. I haven't been doing it for 30 years. No, yeah, no, yeah. No. <laughs> You've not even been around for 30 years. <laughs> Barely. Not yet. Not sure. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, and I've really enjoyed doing the show for that many years. I'm not going to retire. I love doing this. I still get very excited on Saturday mornings. We get up, and I will tell you, I get up, uh, I got TV tomorrow on KSI, so I'll get up again. Uh, get up uh, every day at 6.15. I still get excited about getting up and doing this show. 
on uh, Saturday mornings and talking to the public and, and giving out information like we talked about in depth about Federal Express, uh, trying to guide people on Bitcoin. You know, stay away from Bitcoin. This is a risky thing. We've, we've seen things like this happen before. Don't go in these crazy investments. If you can earn 8 10%, 12% in investments, you're doing very well. Well, there's a closing bell. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs or have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilson or Chase Wilson at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And feel free to visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. A lot of great information there. And for more daily educational information along with investing tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent Chase Wilson. Thanks for listening to Smart Investing Show. We'll be back next week. Have a great weekend. I did all that And may I say Not in a 